0: Welcome to the Tea Grannies. I'm Elise, And I'm Maria. Today we're here for a Q&A about
1: traditional publishing with author Rob Sanborn. So pour yourself a cup of tea and let's get started.
0: An emerald green beam of light tore across the sky, and Rita sprang to her feet on the rooftop, overcome with awe and an uncanny suspicion that the light was staring back. She traced it arcing above the moon, swelling brighter and brighter like a fallen star burning up far away from its home, until, blip, it disappeared in a flash at the edge of her hand. The night went on, undisturbed, as if nothing had happened. A whisper escaped her lips. Wow. Something new had entered her life, without an invitation. This was news she wanted, no, needed to share, with the only other person living in gossip's distance. She scanned the ground, until she spotted a bunch of straggly hair, not unlike a bird's nest, standing out with its paleness from the surroundings. There you are. She took the slope of the roof, with kitty-cat steps to its edge, where, grabbing hold of the gutters, she swooped in through her window. Yes! She pumped her fist in the air upon landing. Ten out of ten. A dash down a flight of stairs... A couple of leaps through a cramped hallway, and there she stood, right at the front door. It slid back with a hiss to reveal a jalopy and a trailer attached to it, parked in their rusted glory. Bobbing behind and along the side of the trailer, the blonde hair swayed in the brisk summer breeze in every imaginable direction until its owner, a paunchy man, stepped out into view. He was grinning from ear to ear, an expression that, on any other face, would have looked absolutely horrifying. Dad, dad, did you see that? Rita enthused, between gasps for air. See what, pumpkin? Her dad said in a jolly voice. The fireworks? T'was a pretty one, eh? Color of your eyes. A tad brighter, now that I think of it. But fireworks are supposed to be bright, otherwise what's the point of them? That was no fireworks. They don't go that high. It wouldn't be so bad, it's just, I don't know. I had this strange feeling that it was looking at me. Perhaps it was, Rita's dad mused.
1: All right, so there's a lot I liked about this submission, uh, but I don't feel anchored in the story yet. I thought the descriptions were super, um, a fallen star burning up far away from home. Um, Those kind of descriptions were awesome. I feel like the beam of light in the very first um, sentence there is supposed to be very important to the story. And I'd like a few more beats about that before she goes off to her dad to tell him about it. Especially because, you know, it could just be an opener, but I feel like it's probably part of the story and I'd like to have a little more importance mm-hmm. tied to it. Um, and I did like the description uncanny suspicion, but this is one of those moments where I felt like we could use a feel for that and being told that, especially since we're just getting into the story. Um, yeah, overall, I think we need more direction in this piece mm. I'm kind of getting middle grade young adult vibes uh it's hard to say for sure though given what we're on one you know just one a page. single page <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh I'm also not sure what genre time period we're in I could take a few guesses but I would I would love to have a better idea um, about the setting and that kind of thing And I do think the dialogue with her dad could be moved to the second page, and then that would free up some space on the first page to give us that direction in the setting. And I think it would help with the flow as well, because then we can get into Rita's head a little bit more before we bring in our our other characters.
0: Yeah, this this submission felt, I want to say, different than the ones we've received so far, and I'm not sure... I don't feel like I was able to put my finger on why in my comments, but, uh, <laughs> I said I was going to try. So here we go. Um, right off the bat, I got some interesting vibes. Um, and if you remember the movie Flushed Away, I, uh, I definitely that came to mind. Maybe just because the character's name is Rita, um, but also because of the parkour stuff, which I super liked. Um, the descriptions, like Maria said, were um were very well done and intriguing and I especially liked the ones of of her moving across the roof into the house the acrobatics were really fun um and then descriptions of the light were super vivid as well um but similarly I, I wasn't sure what we were getting into with this piece like the um the line about the light staring back at Rita made me question if it was like supposed to be a bit creepy maybe kind of borderline horror or maybe horror entirely but um the other descriptions so far don't seem to line up with that um so I didn't really have a sense of genre or time period um middle grade YA feels like a good benchmark based on what Maria has already said um but I I mean I guess it could go either way it could be adult I have no idea um and then I didn't um couldn't really decide if the dad character was supposed to be creepy as well like I got weird vibes from him Uh, namely the line about his smile, like like that it would have looked horrifying on any other face. That confused me a little bit. Like, I wasn't sure if we were supposed to like this guy or not. Um, And maybe he's supposed to be mysterious, and that's fine, but I feel like this is just more leaning more towards confusing and um, not quite enough information for it to be a a good sense of mystery. Um, And then, actually, a kind of a goofy note is I'm actually wondering if the characters are cats or if they're human. I, I'm leaning towards human because of some of the other contexts, but there was the kitty cat steps descriptor, which is super cute. Um, and I kind of took that literally a little bit. Like I wasn't sure, are we, is this humans or is it cats? I I could go either way, I'll be honest.
1: I would kind of love it if it was cats. Right? That would
0: be really weird. <laughs> it would be adorable and unexpected and super fun. Um, but yeah. And then, what else have I got? Not a whole lot else. I... I think the the strengths of this piece lie in Rita's enthusiasm and how that, how genuine that is when it comes across. Um, but then what I felt was missing from this overall was, yeah, that sense of direction, that, that why, that what's pushing this story forward um, and where actually are we? Um, so I had like a bunch of questions like, what was she doing on the roof? What was her dad doing out in the yard? Is she planning to go after the light and see what it is? Or is she just happy to talk about it with her dad? Like, I think more hints towards some of this information either in the first play page or later on, might help establish a bit more of that intri- intrigue and give that the reader that motivation to read on. But um, yeah, thanks for submitting this one. I really enjoyed the, the descriptions and the potential for these to be cats. Uh, that's always a win for me. <laughs> So, welcome to
1: Rob. He is the author of The Prisoner of Paradise, which is a wonderful thriller novel that I highly recommend. We met through Bookstagram and I told him I'd get around to his book and then I ended up binge reading it in like two days. So, thanks for so much for joining us today, Rob. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. Well, Maria and Elise, thank you so much for having me on the show. Mm -hmm. I am super grateful. I'm really happy to be here. I can't wait to to chat with both of you. And yeah, so my name is Rob Sanborn. Uh, My first book is called The Prisoner of Paradise, um, which, as Maria mentioned, is an historical thriller. Um, I can go into it (laughs) if you'd like. And I, yeah, so I live in Denver uh, with my wife and daughter, and I'm originally from New York. But I moved to Denver about three years ago, by way of LA, where I lived for about twenty years.
1: Nice, LA is really awesome. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> but Colorado's supposed to be gorgeous, so I haven't it been is. yet. <laughs> and you, you're
2: both from Vancouver, right?
1: Yes, yeah. we are. Yeah. yeah, so it's pretty mm-hmm. nice up here as well, minus you know, like the housing market. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah.
2: I've never been, but I've always <laughs> wanted to go.
1: It's, uh yeah, it's really gorgeous. We're mm-hmm. like, we have mountains and the sea, and it's really nice. We do love it up here. Okay.
0: okay. We have, I think we have plenty to cover. We have a bunch of questions from listeners. We reached out on social media and kind of asked, like, what do people want to know? Um, so that's always fun. This is a community effort, and I'm pretty excited about it. So I think we can just dive into the first question if everyone's ready to go. Um, ready. So let's start with... Um, Do you ever get used to being a published author, or does it still feel unreal?
2: You know, um, it still kind of feels unreal, but I think I've gotten used to that unreal feeling, <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so my book came out on November 30th, and it's been less than a year. And, you know, for, for the listeners who don't know about The Prisoner Paradise, I'll just tell you a little bit about it. Sure. Um, so The Prisoner Paradise is a dual timeline thriller that follows two American tourists who travel to Venice, Italy on vacation. Uh, So when the husband comes to believe that his true soulmate is not his wife, but a woman whose soul has been imprisoned in the world's largest oil painting, she's concerned for his mental well-being, but he's convinced that all of this is real. Um, And he goes on a quest and discovers a religious order that over hundreds of years has figured out a method of extracting people's souls from their bodies, which they then imprison in this gigantic painting called Paradise. And the main character has a number of flashbacks to a previous life as a 16th century swordsman. And let's just say that some stuff went down back then. And now, <laughs> six lives later, he's desperate to save her, his soulmate. Um, and there's also kind of a love triangle going on as well. Uh, but meanwhile, there's there are thousands of souls trapped in this painting, all of which this order claims are evil, including his soulmate. And so freeing one means liberating all of them and the order will never let that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what the book is about. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it came out on November 30th. It's been less than a year, um, but my audiobook just released a couple of weeks ago and my second book is coming out October 25th. I'm also releasing a novella next month. So it's kind of like between all of that, there's, there's kind of like this flood. So it helps me getting used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't gotten used to is the publishing industry which we can chat about or that could be a whole other episode.
1: <laughs> I feel like that can be an entire episode mostly about the publishing yes. industry which I have like a million questions about. It is. <laughs> but uh, I'm excited for book two. I hope we get more flashbacks because I really love those chapters. Mm-hmm. They were great. Well, love Um, So my next question. So was it your first novel, The Prisoner of Paradise, or how many did you write before this one?
2: This was indeed my first novel, but I come from a screenwriting background, so okay. um, that's kind of where my, the bulk, I guess I could say, of my, my writing education, my professional writing education, uh, really comes from. So I wrote uh, a nine scripts, five of which were optioned, and actually I even wrote this originally as a script and then adapted mm-hmm. it into a book. So it, it, as a screenplay, it was optioned by a production company founded by DreamWorks execs. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it was never made into a movie, um, but when the rights reverted back to me, I decided to adapt it into a book. So wow. at the time, it was the only book I had written.
1: I feel like this would translate so well on screen. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it would make a really good movie. I would Thanks. watch or it. Or a TV <laughs> TV series would be good too. So this was the book that got you an agent then. So when you were querying, I might be repeating, that's later on, but how many agents did you query before you got one? Um, I don't recall the
2: number, but it was a lot. It was dozens. It was probably about, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe 40, 50 or 60 or so. Mm -hmm. It took a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was a a long process. um, And but actually, I should also say that there were a few agents who did offer me contracts, but I decided that I didn't love them for whatever reason, and then ended up signing with the agent who I'm with now, who I do love.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, okay, that's interesting, because I think a lot of writers who have been in the querying trenches for a long time are like, I will take whatever agent wants my work. Um, but you didn't yeah. do that, and and that was the choice for you, it seems. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I can see that being tough though. You're like, I finally got an agent. Yeah. Should I just say yes?
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I, I, you know, I had to grapple with that decision myself. But fortunately, if I remember correctly, this was a kind of long time ago at this point, but um, partly because of the pandemic, everything was delayed at least Mm. a year. But I think when it happened, it it was, they were all fairly close to each other. When I, you know, I think I had like two or three other offers. So I didn't really have (laughs) to think about it for that long.
1: Okay. Oh, that's kind of, that's helpful.
2: Yeah.
1: I feel like if I thought about it too long, I wouldn't be
0: able to make a decision. <laughs> yeah, it <would> be impossible.
2: <laughs> it was tough. It definitely was tough.
0: Would you be able to identify some of the, maybe things that pushed you in one direction or another? Or has it been too long?
2: It was definitely really, you know, I spoke with my current agent and those other potential agents about what their plans were with the book. Um, also I looked at, of course, their client list and their success rate mm-hmm. with publishers. So it was really a combination of all of that that led to my decision. Um, my current agent definitely had a higher track record, you could say, or better track okay. record than else for short. Sure. Mm-hmm. And also, I felt like what they were offering me was a little stronger. They also had they are also kind of managers in a way. Mm-hmm. and they had a lot of input about the story. Uh, a lot of creative input so if i remember correctly the other agents didn't have any thoughts about it really as well at at all they were just ready to go whereas my current agent actually wanted to make a number of revisions and we went through probably an additional two or three rounds of editing and Mm -hmm. we're talking major changes
0: and that's not even with an editor yet that's just with the agent right
2: that's correct, yeah. yeah. I did wow. hire an editor separately before I actually queried.
0: Oh, you did, okay. But
2: then I had an editor at my publisher as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. Yeah,
0: it's a lot of, uh, yeah, that's a lot of revision. <laughs> Yeah, this and book has been through like, the ringer, wow. Yeah. yeah. I don't and know if everybody goes
2: through so. that, but in the, you know, I'm, even though it took a longer period of time, I think at the end of the day, the product is a lot better, so I'm really happy
0: with that. Yeah, yeah, you can be mm-hmm. pretty confident yeah. in that um throughout that process did you at what point or did you have to find beta readers for yourself how did that work um and then kind of tied to that we're wondering um someone asked should those people be strangers or is it better for them to be people that you know
2: yeah that's a great question I um so for questions I should say those are great questions and I would (laughs) say for the first part of it all of my beta readers have always been people in writing groups Mm-hmm. so i've been in a number of writing groups and i think that really kind of segues into the second question which is you know i what i'm comfortable first of all i think it should be whatever your a person is comfortable with the right sure. right um if you're not comfortable sharing your work with people you don't know then don't do it but be ready to do that <laughs> on a massive scale when your book comes out you know, and you can't argue with those people, you know, you just got to take the review or whatever it is. Um, So I didn't know the people in the writing groups originally, but I got to know them. Um, You know, so I wouldn't necessarily want to go with friends or family because you don't necessarily know if they're going to really be honest with you. I mean, family did read my work and they did help. Um, And they were honest, actually, now that I think about it. But I think, more from, like, formatting and grammatical perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then, you know, then the flip side is once you're in a writing group, you do get to know those people um, and they become friends. And and then, but you're, you continue to be honest with each other, with each mm-hmm. other. You know, you're writing critiques back to them. It's not a one-way thing. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think that's what I like about our writing group, familiar with each other's writing and what we need to work on because it's an even playing field. You get really good feedback.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And I did have that same experience. I sent a chapter to like my family and my dad was like, you spelled something wrong on this paragraph. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't really why I sent it to you guys. But okay. But that's still so- helpful. It's <laughs> yeah. still so, so, so helpful. Thanks, Dad. So I didn't catch that one apparently. So yeah, that's <laughs> that's good to know. But did you have beta readers like before you started querying? Or was that something that your agent encouraged you to do in the editing process when you were working with your agent or were you just kind of doing it just the two of you
2: it was all before Mm -hmm. okay all the beta so i was i had the uh i was in the writing groups working on the book before i started querying and then also during it you know i I never Mm -hmm. really stopped revising Editing.
1: Yeah, that's what I was kind of afraid he would say, I'm so tired of revising this one manuscript I haven't, and at least sent me like 20 pages of notes on it. And I'm like, I'm I'm gonna get to you sometime. <laughs> <I'm just laughs> one day. Not ready. Yeah. One yeah. Day. I
2: mean, I'll I'll tell you what. So like I because it's a series, I I regularly go back to the book to kind of read through to make sure that um I have consistency across so I was mm-hmm. like, you know whole series and everything and I go back and read it and you know it's a published book at this point and there are things like oh man I wish I <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. I'm so happy to hear that too because yeah. I always wrote that like I've been reading uh the Throne of Glass series right now I know I'm on, like the second to last book and if you compare the writing in her second to last book in the series whatever eighth book seventh book it is to the first book in the series she's like completely different i'm like does she look back at that first book and go man this is such hot garbage i would imagine i would
2: would (laughs) imagine i mean i i actually i i think that i'm a much better storyteller than i am a writer but i Mm -hmm. do get a good number of compliments on my writing Mm -hmm. um but i think that my writing now is vastly superior to my writing with the first book even in this <laughs> short period of time, like I think my second book is so it like, gets so much better. Well, <laughs> and I'm not knocking my version. first book. was out there, you should go out and get it because it is by far yeah. the absolute <laughs> best <laughs> book ever written about soulmates in Venice across two timelines, wow. written by somebody yeah. named Rob Samberg. Yeah
1: we're going off topic but i i have to say the one of the things that uh, appealed to me about your book was the soulmates thing because one of the projects that i would have been querying has to do with soulmates and reincarnation and stuff so it kind of that was what attracted my attention to it so oh, cool. i thought that was really cool i thought it was really well done um and i i love reading the stuff about that i feel like there's not enough of it out there but it could just be thank me. you
2: well I'm, I'm glad that you liked it <laughs>
1: yeah. So another question from one of our listeners. What do you consider to be the hardest things about publishing?
2: Uh, Let me go get my list. Um,
1: (laughs) The other book you wrote, which is a list. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, really. Um,
2: Well, selling books is probably the hardest. Um, Mm -hmm. But then also just the glacial speed. And um, honestly, there are a number of frustrations so as I mentioned before, I do come from a screenwriting background, and, you know, and you can literally write and shoot a movie in less time than it takes to get a publisher to read your book. You know, it can really be maddening. Um, I also have a, on, the, on you know, the business side of things, on the money making side of my career, I also have a sales and business development background. So I'm really used to like hustling in a fast paced team environment. Um, I would say also the learning curve in the publishing industry is very, very steep. There's just so much to do and so much you're required to do and learn on your own. It's kind of insane. Mm. Um, Now, all that said, I, I do love it. I do write love writing books and the process and everything. And there's also a huge, you know, part of the other side of all that that I love, which is just, you know, people like yourselves who do incredible podcasts and offer amazing advice on editing and the publishing process and everything, as well as other authors too, you know, um, who I love Mm -hmm. as well. The writing community itself is just phenomenal, as I'm sure both of you know. Um, Mm -hmm. I've become friends with so many authors. I mean, we're talking like dozens of people who I did not know at all. Uh, Everybody is incredibly supportive to one another. Uh, There's definitely this feeling of all being in this together. You know, we're all on the same ship together. um, And a rising tide also lifts all boats. You know, and even though authors are technically competitors, we're also really in it together. So I think that that's great.
1: I really love that about the writing community, too. Like, that's what I've noticed. Like, when we started our Bookstagram account, it was actually just meant to be to promote the podcast, which is, like, the last thing I do on it. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Um, But I've met so many readers and writers, aspiring writers, like, uh, you know, indie authors, and it's crazy how supportive everybody is. Like, most industries are not like that. Um, Having been in horses, for example, like, most of my life, there's not a lot of that Uh, it's competitive there but not supportive in a lot of ways um whereas in the writing community everybody's like you know if you post on twitter that you've got a full request you'll get like 200 people being like that's awesome like that's such a it's so nice i love that about it
2: yeah it is i mean if you look at something like sports you know whether it's equestrian or really any sport unless you're on the same team you know, obviously, there's good sportsmanship, and you know, people aren't gonna yeah. get hurt or something like that. But you are competitors, you know, you may not be mm-hmm. like out with a, a specific technique or something like that. But yeah. light, people do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You definitely aren't like, oh no, when they make a mistake. Like, yes, I probably won now.
0: <laughs> yeah. I would say I have met and connected with a lot of people I never would have expected to um, just from like being online and saying hey i write uh you write too cool and that yeah that kind of just tumbles into this massive writing community is very very beautiful Mm -hmm. um and i think that's partially what inspired us to do this just connecting with other people and i mean i think from a amateur marketing perspective not posting about the podcast on the podcast account is probably the best thing you can do for your social media um if you're constantly plugging your own thing uh that can get pretty draining pretty fast so it
1: can. yeah i think the other pages where every post is a promotional post i'm like you know people don't want to yeah they don't mm-hmm. always want to see that that's too much you know it's nice to post your work obviously and, and your own promotion but if every single post is promotional then you just kind of people are going to be like well i'm going to unfollow that because get like, enough ads <laughs> And honestly that is
2: one of the hardest things about publishing you mm-hmm. know is you you have to do it um and it is draining and then even just being creative with it to try and vary it so it's not always the exact same thing or you know
1: yeah um,
2: yeah you know, it's it gets to be a lot
1: yeah. Yeah, there's gotta be some secret formula, but I no one's it was discovered yet. The secret um, formula
2: is money.
0: Yeah. Oh, well. okay, there you go. yeah. I feel like <laughs> that's secret one, formula take, to yeah,
2: it is, exactly. It's <laughs> it's the secret formula. Um it's paid advertising and then also mm. paying other people to do your marketing for you or manage, mm. you know. Every, anything really, right, and write your books <laughs> well. Um, yeah, um, but seriously though, um, you know, that money, money helps, who knew?
1: So how much, how much time would you say, like how much of your time is dedicated to writing versus the rest of the publishing journey, like marketing and stuff like that? Okay. Would you say you get to write more, or do you have to market more?
2: So it really depended upon when the book was coming out um, versus kind of now. And mm-hmm. so leading up to the release, so my so The Prisoner of Paradise was released on November 30th of last year. And I would say for a good two or three months up to that point, and then for probably a good six months or so after that, it was honestly probably like 80% marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it was really a lot. But again, you know, I do come from a sales background, so I really wanted to hustle and push it out Mm -hmm. as much as possible. And, you know, going back to what we were talking about with uh, the writing community, you know, authors don't consider each other competitors. However, we really are. And if you think about, you know, like if you go into a bookstore as a buyer, as a reader, you are accosted with literally probably a hundred thousand, if not more different things to choose from. Mm -hmm right Mm -hmm. even if you're going in there to buy a specific book that's let's say like um fantasy romance you may be you know your eyes may be caught to a nonfiction book about Mm -hmm. a musician or who knows what it is right Mm -hmm. and then and there's just a limited amount of books that people can buy so how do you get your name out there how do you rise not 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 rise above but like just rise above all the noise and i'm not saying those people are noise but like there's a lot of it out there especially on you know on amazon mm-hmm. too. it's just on any one book page there's probably pictures of about 25 or 30 other books yeah
1: yeah yeah,
2: yeah. so i did a lot of that um i would say as a debut author with a mid-sized press um i was have been relatively successful, I guess you could say. Um, and then, but I did want, you know, as we were talking about before, it does get drained. It's a lot. And not mm. only that, like I really not only wanted to focus on my other books, I had to. Mm. So I was right in the second book. The second book has been done for a while, but the bulk of it was probably done before the first book even came out. Okay. And That's so right. now I'm working on the third book and I'm also releasing a uh, spinoff novella it's really kind of a companion novella so Moray, i think mm-hmm. you said that you love the uh, the historical scenes in yeah the book. this novella it's going to be about 140 pages it's coming out of september it's called the swordsman of venice and it's entirely historical fiction so we follow the character from the past angelo uh we follow his journey after he's forced to flee venice with people chosen. okay i'm
1: gonna read that like immediately that's what i want thanks <laughs> that's so true. Uh, Finally, the
2: answer to your question now, I'm probably doing about 90% writing and 10% marketing. But with these other books coming out very, very soon, I need to transition that to kind of the flip side very quickly.
0: Kind of back to the writing community conversation. Um if you could offer advice to other querying writers like ourselves um what would you say
2: Yeah so having gone through for a pretty long time as i mentioned in waves with um different agents and everything i would say the first thing right now is to s- stop right now and just kind of reassess you know one is and th- i'm i'm saying all these things generally without knowing the author, or how far they are into the process, or everything, but like, ask yourselves: like, one, has your book been professionally edited? And I don't mean did you send it to a friend or a beta reader who's really good as an editor. Did you actually pay someone? And if not, I think do it. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's an investment. Um, two, you know, do you really know your genre? I think that this is critical when querying to like really really know that genre and nail it the other day i was talking to a writer who wasn't who is in the querying process actually and when he told me about his book um before he went into the synopsis he said it was a fantasy sort of like lord of the rings and then when we got to it it's not fantasy at all but actually a historical thriller (laughs) um you know and this isn't real this is really important not only for pitching but also to whom you're pitching. Which I think brings me to the next one, um, which is three, which is make sure you're querying an agent who reps your genre and follow their submission guidelines to a T, you know? And then also don't just blast everyone out there, even, you know, like thinking like, oh, they don't rep my genre, but maybe they'll like it. It's like, imagine Mm -hmm. owning an ice cream parlor and, you know, calling them up to order a pizza. You know, they're both food, but but no, you can't do that. <laughs> and, and that brings me to the next one, which is don't blast. You know, send in waves, maybe five or 10 tops, and then revise and revise again. Uh, join Absolute Right. I don't know if either of you are familiar with it or if the listeners are familiar with it, no. but it's basically a message board. Look up Absolute Right. Uh, post your query on that and get, and they're basically beta readers for for queries, but they have like a whole bunch of different message boards. just sort of like Reddit for writing. Cool.
1: Um wow, that yeah. sounds amazing. <laughs> it is,
2: yeah. And it's really good and helpful, you know, and you know, it's really important to nail the query letter because your query letter is a representation of not only your book, but you as an author. Um, so the body should be a maximum of about 250 words, which is roughly the word count for a page and spelling counts. You know, I've heard a lot of mm-hmm. agents say this, that if you have an error, in 250 words on one page, why wouldn't they think that there's an error on every single page of the book, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, is the agent thinking, okay, they can't be bothered, the author can't be bothered to proofread, so why would they bother representing them? Um, And then in that 250 words, you know, make sure to include a hook, your main character, your antagonists, stakes, goals, urgency, definitely stakes, goals, and urgency. I I actually help out a lot of people with query letters. I think I'm fairly good at it. And I can't tell you how often it's just completely missing stakes, goals, and urgency. Mm -hmm. By the way, it does not need to be an action or thriller book to have those. It could be a total drama. Or yeah. romance or anything, but still have stakes, goals, and urgencies, urgency. And then finally, you know, read, read, read in your genre. Check out the top sellers on Amazon. You know, make sure that you're familiar with what's out there and be looking forward, by the way. So go on to NetGalley as well and look to see what's coming out. Um, so you're familiar with it because that's what the agents are also, you know, they're working on stuff that they're being pitched, but they're also working on stuff that's coming out in the future. And then go mm-hmm. back. Edit, edit, edit. Uh, also, get your website and social media accounts up now. And then, I also think going back to the previous question about the industry is learn, learn, learn the industry as much as possible. This is something I did not <laughs> do that I wish I did. Um, but you know, there's just so much. And then once you do sign, uh, once you have a release, they definitely join a debut group for that year.
1: Okay, I love all this advice. I also hope that you recommend for people to read in their genre because I saw a Twitter thread the other day. They're like, you know, do you read in the genre that you write it? And someone had commented like, well, not really a reader. I, I just I write think And I was saw like, well,
0: yeah, I, yeah. I, like,
1: I kind of don't, I don't get good advice from that because how are you supposed to become a good writer if you're not like studying? Yes. And I've talked to an agent uh, a couple years ago at one of one of the writing conferences and I had pitched to her um, my fantasy romance, which was the first one I wrote. That was, uh, that was not great. Um, she said to me, like, what about your story is going to make an agent look twice," And that's why the query is so important. And having the stakes and the motivation and everything like that. But, yeah, yes. it's uh, all good advice. <laughs> Absolutely.
2: And I think another thing is that people need to remember that this is a business. It's 100% yes. a business and it's a business first and last despite how creative you want it to be Mm -hmm. and if you don't read in your genre you're not knowing what's selling and you know going back to my store Mm -hmm. analogy it's like imagine coming up with a food that you just want to sell and you have no idea what's out there and what people are buying and eating you know you got to know the competition Mm -hmm. whether they're competitors or not but um, you need to know the market and the industry
1: So did you travel to Venice as research?
2: Yes, Uh, I've actually been to Venice three times. So the third trip Mm -hmm. that I took was specifically as a research trip. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the vast majority of my research was through the Internet and books. Remember those things? Um, But there's no substitute for for being there. You know, the smells, the sights, the sounds, the feel of the weather or even the feel of the building um, you know, seeing little nooks and crannies. I mean, that's for some place like Venice, but I think I would advise anybody, you know, if, if your book is set in a place where you don't live and you can go there, you know, whether you have the means or it even exists, (laughs) I would definitely recommend doing that. Um, and you know, I'm also a big fan of, of limited deep, limited deep third person POV. And I think both of you are, I I listened to that podcast Mm -hmm. and I like to go as deep as possible. So I do think it really helps to be there. Um, So it's sort of like, it's kind of first person, but really written as third, because it's like, I'm in someone else's head. And I prefer this, I prefer third person as well, just because I'm in someone else's head, but so is the reader, Mm -hmm. you know? um, I actually find first person to be unsettling sometimes, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so yes. So I have been there for research.
1: I love it i've been there once before um but i was like 20 and backpacking and we had been traveling for like almost three months at that point so i was like ah another church another whatever so i'd like to yeah. redo venice when I, i'm not so uh, tired from traveling i could actually really, really i recommend it, it. <laughs> yeah
2: my first two trips were actually when i was also backpacking or studying abroad really and um but the other thing about venice by the way for all the listeners is if you haven't been there you should definitely go because it's mm. one of the greatest cities on the planet. It's just gorgeous and unique yeah. and filled with am- amazing things.
1: Yeah, I have a little urge to drive around Italy now. <laughs> yes, still a problem.
0: That travel yeah. bug.
1: Yeah, it's back after a few years off.
0: Okay. Um, I guess for, for me, for the listeners, um, cause I, I haven't read this book yet and now I'm feeling like I'm missing out on something huge. Um, so tell us more about that. We'd like to hear more about the, the writing and querying process for Prisoner of Paradise.
2: Okay. Okay. Um, so again, it did tell take a pretty long time. It was multiple years, but that's because I as I was mentioning, I did query. So first of all, for the writing process, that took a pretty long time because mm-hmm. I was working at the time. Um and I do tend to be a bit of a perfectionist. So I was working on a, you know, making sure I was revising everything and then the yeah. querying process, I did it in waves. Um, and it just, it took a number of years. Now I can say that it gets way better. My second book only took one year. And because I have a three, so I have a three book deal, by the way, uh, with my publisher, their name is Touchpoint press. And because I have a three book deal, it's awesome. I'll be honest. I don't have to query. Um, and the writing just got way faster and way better. And my third book will probably only take, I think about excuse me, nine months.
1: And so the sequel you said is coming out in October?
2: Yes, so okay. the sequel, and by the way they both, I'm writing them. that all of them will be, eight. you can always read them as standalones. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think that people will go back to the first one and sort of look at, look at it as an origin story. So the mm-hmm. second book is called Painter of the Damned, and this is the cover. I know this is audio, but you both can see it.
1: I like that cover. Thank you. <laughs> is.
2: This is the prisoner yeah. of paradise. Yeah. So um But Painter of the Damned is coming out on October twenty-fifth. And then I'm also going to release that novella that I was talking about, which is called mm-hmm. The Swordsman of Venice. Mm-hmm. That'll be coming out towards the end of September. That's just gonna be mm-hmm. an ebook
1: okay and my other question kind of bouncing off this now that we've seen the covers even though the listeners have not how much input did you get into the cover design because that's something i'm like really obsessed Mm. about and i'd be so upset if i sold my book and then they pick the cover and it was ugly (laughs) i agree with you
2: a thousand percent (laughs) that's such a thing i completely completely i mean going back to the whole business thing that i was talking about there, you Maybe you can't judge a book by its cover, but people definitely mm-hmm. buy books by their covers. Or do, at, yeah. at the very least, you pick it up mm-hmm. based mm-hmm. on its cover, and then you'll you'll go through it, right, if you're in the store. Um, if you're on Amazon, it's, it's definitely starting with cover. Um, mm-hmm. So it is the single most, once everything is ready to go, it's the single most important investment you can make. And I'm also extremely picky about it. And I'll be honest, I didn't love all of the covers that my publisher had put out. So I just took the initiative and I honestly, I hired a cover designer to do the prisoner of paradise. Um, mm-hmm. So I had hundred percent input on that, but they were also, I had discussed this with them. I was like, you know what, are you okay with me doing it? And they're like, yeah, fine. If you want to pay for it, do it. So I did do that. Now um, for the second book, they had actually hired a cover designer who's fantastic. Um, his name is David Ter Avassin and he did Painter of the Damned and I did work with him on it. So I had already known that he was a good designer, and then I gave him like some ideas of what I wanted to do and that kind of thing. So um and then he came back with like five or six phenomenal different options that honestly were hard to choose from. <laughs> but ultimately we decided on this one, yeah. Okay,
1: I love it. That kind of uses my mind because I am really funny about covers. I I mean, I want them to look nice for the bookstagram and I'm not ashamed to say that.
2: <laughs> hey, yeah, you should. And you know, there, there are pros and cons to working with a smaller press. So that's definitely one of the pros. Mm-hmm. With the big five, I do not think that you can do that. I think maybe you can provide some input but I think it's pretty limited. Now, that being said, nine out of 10 times, I think the covers are pretty good.
0: That's fair. All right, Um, moving more into a bit of your career, um, our next question is, do you write full-time and do you ever regret pursuing it as a career?
2: So as of today, yes, I do write Mm full-time, but I haven't always, as I mentioned before, and Mm -hmm. also not going to be doing it for much longer. So for most of the time when I was writing The Prisoner of Paradise, I was working full time. So I was writing at nights and we- on week nights and, and during weekends. Yeah. Um, but I did. So towards the end of last summer, I decided to take a break and focus full time on that marketing that I was talking about and also finishing up my second book, Painter of the Damned. But I am going back to work full time on September 1st. So it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> We'll see. Ya. If anybody out there has invented a cloning machine, uh, please contact me. I really appreciate it.
1: Me too! No <laughs> it oh <my> <laughs> feels like just too, there's so too many things, and mm-hmm. I hate having to have a real job to support the fun things that I like to do. It's a real there pain are, in the are not
2: enough hours in the day. I don't really care. Yeah, um, and yeah then, I
1: feel like I need an assistant.
2: <laughs> yeah, me too, and I, my assistant is an assistant. Um. <laughs> I don't have an assistant by anyway. name. So, um, and i don't I don't regret this career path at all. you know, okay. um, and also, even the word regret, I don't like using because every decision you made in the past, was informed by your knowledge at the time. Now, Mm -hmm. if I had a time machine, another Mm -hmm. thing I need, by the way, um, I would, I'd increase that knowledge. You know, going back to like my advice on querying, for example, um, I would definitely have spent more time learning in the industry, definitely spent more time revising the work before those first initial rounds of querying Mm -hmm. as well um, to improve my submission drafts earlier in the process.
1: And so, as far as marketing goes, how much support do you get being a traditionally published author? Is your agent kind of guide you, but with the sales, or because of your background, they kind of just let you fly on your own?
2: <laughs> it's definitely more of the latter. But I don't know if agents in general help out with marketing anyway um so mine don't who would typically help out with the marketing is the publisher and this goes back to pros and cons of being with a smaller smaller mm-hmm. mid-sized press um you know when you're with a big five they do help a lot more um okay. but when you're with a small to mid-sized press it's very little so i really do probably about 99 of everything myself Um, But I think even with a big five, you know, unless you're a Stephen King or Dan Brown or whoever, you pretty much also have to kind of do it yourself, especially as a debut author. I think they do help. And I think they'd help also in the beginning, you know, leading up to release and a little bit after release. But again, it's a business. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of different things to promote. And unless your book is selling like hotcakes, they're probably not going to invest more money into it. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times it does fall upon the author to do it no matter what.
1: Okay, that makes sense. And as far as social media goes, where do you think you've had the most success marketing your book on social media? Which platform?
2: That's a good question. Um, (laughs) Probably Instagram. I found that Twitter was a little bit better for some reason pre-release. And I think Mm. Instagram is better Mm. post-release. TikTok I think is actually pretty good. But, um, and I I do like using it because I think it's kind of fun to make the videos. But this just goes back to like before what I was talking about was like the creative energy of putting time into Mm -hmm. it. um, And then also coming up with something new. You know, a lot of people on Book Talk, it's like the same thing Mm. every single video. Yeah. It's also stuff that, I don't know, um, maybe it's just me. You know, I'm not 16, (laughs) but I... (laughs) i i'm like i don't have any interest in hearing an author mouthing over someone else's quote about something i don't know if you know what i'm talking about yeah um, i think so but, but i do think that TikTok is a fun platform and tool you know and just if you can get hundreds of people to see it it still helps right so i'm a very mm-hmm. very big believer in brand recognition and awareness so i think it all helps um, so i'm also on facebook mm-hmm. you know um and in fact So I also do paid advertising on Facebook and Amazon and uh, BookBub. So Mm -hmm. I've definitely had a lot of success through BookBub actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Goodreads is really good. I don't advertise on Goodreads, but I think Goodreads helps, which is a social media platform. And then on Facebook, Facebook is an overcrowd, but I think in general readers do tend to skew over anyway, and you can actually get way better stats on Facebook, you can get on Instagram as well, um, but it's mm-hmm. better than on Twitter and on TikTok. So I know for a fact that the vast majority of people who click on like anything, whether it's a post or a paid ad or anything like that, are 45 and up and really mm-hmm. honestly, like, like 55 and up and also <laughs> most like 75% women, yeah. Oh, so oh, okay, that's
1: really interesting, yeah. yeah interesting okay yeah so I, I we've had some success with like instagram ads and that's the only one we've really tried so far um and yeah i find twitter's kind of tough because you know the doing things pre-release i think yeah it does get more attention because people are being really supportive and then kind of once it comes out they're like okay well like we already kind of retweeted this a couple of times like, Something goes on there on Twitter where it just kind of goes silent. Uh, Whereas on Instagram, I think people, there's more readers um, Mm -hmm. and they tend to talk about the book more and like, like the posts and and post about it. Whereas like on on Twitter, when you're in the writing community, it's like writers, less readers. Mm -hmm. That's what I've come across anyway. I know there is like a book Twitter, but I haven't really gone onto that side of it yet. Um, Yeah, I use
2: that hashtag. I don't know if it really even helps.
1: Yeah, I don't have any <laughs> hashtags even help, right. me, we're honestly <laughs> engagement's been so bad on Instagram lately and everyone's complaining mm-hmm. about it. And I mm-hmm. look at my um, insights from like a few months ago to now and I'm like, I don't know what is going on, but it's like, com- like half the engagement. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's the danger of social media, right? It's like we're just kind of throwing things at the wall to see it sticks, I guess.
2: <laughs> it is, yeah. But again, you know, like I said, I think brand awareness and brand recognition is mm-hmm. huge. And the nice thing about all the social media platforms is that they're free. you
1: they mm-hmm.
2: still post. Yeah.
1: I'd like to try and get on Book Talk, but I'm not a big video maker. So we will see how that goes. Um. Yeah, it's fun. And the other
2: cool thing about TikTok is their music library is insane. They mm. have every single song, it's so good. So there's never been a case where I had a song in mind to put to, to the video where they didn't have it.
0: Yeah, it's so yeah. phenomenal.
2: And you know, pre TikTok, you would have had to pay the artist for royalties, but you don't have to they get paid through TikTok so that's yeah
1: crazy. yeah that's crazy how things have changed <laughs> they get one
2: like one seventeenth 17th of a cent but you know that's why I try to get thousands yeah. of views <laughs> so.
1: yeah, yeah it adds up It adds up. Right.
0: <laughs> okay well I think that brings us to our last question and that is what is next for you for your writing career are there any other genres you're interested in trying out um that kind of thing
2: yeah, first and foremost, as I mentioned before, this novella called The Swordsman of Venice is coming out next month. And then October 25th will be the release of A Painter of the And then in 2023, at some point, will be book three in this series. And I will also write a second novella to continue the journey. So, and for the readers who are thinking like, my God, he has all these books and novellas, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, think of it sort of like, Star Wars in a sense, I guess, where you have Mm -hmm. the main storyline and then the spin offs of where we follow some of the other characters. And it is dual timeline, so I can do that. If this particular series is very successful, I actually, even though I have a mechanism to, I'm planning on closing it out with book three, I should say I have a mechanism to continue it going. And then the other nice thing is that it is multiple timelines, so I can always pick up a point in the past and keep writing from there so i might do that um but in terms of other genres i actually really would love to get into kids books so i have a seven-year-old daughter i think they're a lot of fun um and i have a lot of different ideas i'm actually working on one concept with her that i think would be really really cool and she's actually super into (laughs) this last night she's like i have some ideas i want to you know i want to ask you questions about and she like rattled off like all these questions and i was like Uh, her name is sienna i was like sienna did you just think of these off the top of your head or have you been thinking of these for days and she's like i've been thinking of them for days but i kind of wanted to like think about them longer to make sure that they were good ideas and i was like (sighs) oh you were letting them cook in your head so i thought that that was pretty awesome i I love
1: that she's gonna run circles around you
2: i know (laughs) i will i hope hope she does i hope man if i knew which, you know, is even seven. I'm afraid been running in circles by myself. And then I also have, um, I'd love to uh, write a series of sort of historical thrillers, but they would probably just take place in the present day. But what's different about them is that they would appeal to both young and older audiences. I know I'm being a little cryptic about that, but um, something that's sort of Fun and cool like that that appeals to multiple ages.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds fun. I do cool. like historical stuff, so I would also be reading those. I'm sure. <laughs> 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 but those that all sound see. really awesome. I I love it. It's Thank you. Good. I'm excited to read the novella, especially. I'll be I'll be snatching that up
2: pretty quick well thank you so much maya i hope you like it and at least if you read the Prisoner of paradise i hope Mm -hmm. you like it as well
1: thank you yeah it sounds like sorry at least i have to put it in her next uh, book stack that i loan her from the library yeah she's she's my
0: loaning library so it'll it'll come my way eventually
2: i'd be happy to send
0: it to you as well oh that would be amazing yeah it sounds like Super fun. Did I even read the synopsis before this? I don't think I did. I went in this a little bit blind, kind of learning as the as the listens, listeners are. And that's been kind of fun. Like it sounds like a really wild ride. It sounds really cool. It's really cool. fun. All right.
1: Well, I think that was all
0: we had. Do you have any, anything else you'd like to
1: add for the listeners or for us before mm-hmm. we set up
2: Um, Yeah. So speaking of social media, Um. so my website is robsanborn.com, which is R-O-B-S-A-M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot com, And I'm on, like, literally every social media platform. Most of my usernames are Rob Sanborn as well. I didn't even mention LinkedIn before, by the way, which hmm. I think is moderately helpful. The one that I don't think it does anything yeah. is Pinterest. I don't know why I'm not, it, not really. Um, yeah. But... Um, And then, yeah, if people, you know, feel have any questions for me about the querying or publishing process, uh, feel free to reach out. My email address is author at robsanborn.com. And I also want to just thank both of you again uh, so much for having me on your show. I love your show. You guys offer tremendous advice to people. I think what you're doing is fantastic. Um, it's extremely helpful, and everybody should really be listening to your podcast as well.
1: Oh well, <laughs> I'm tearing thank up so oh much. My God. Yeah, I, know. I got <laughs> my cameras off. I got really excited. Thank um, you so thank much. You. Yeah, this has just been our little passion project, but we mm-hmm. really love it. Well, I think that's it. So thank you so much for joining us today. Mm-hmm. And it's such helpful information. i'm I'm really excited actually to review this episode and take my own notes on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was great. So yeah, thank you again and yeah um, We'll have to see
2: you soon, I guess. <laughs> well, thanks to both of you. Um, yeah, Christmas Individual. Paradise is available in all formats, um, but the audiobook came out a couple of weeks ago, which I am super, super excited about. It's narrated by a guy named Zach Aleman, and his reading is just, like, spot-on perfect. Um, love it. So that's available through Audible and all audiobook platforms. I wanted to make sure I didn't forget that. So Excellent. Yes, um, but thank you both so much, Maria and Elise. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to speaking with you both again.
1: And that's the tea on traditional publishing. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at the T Grannies podcast and on Twitter at the T Grannies. All links will be in the show notes, and we'll see you next time for a deep dive into self publishing. Happy writing.